0: This is Tales of the Multiverse, A Lignin Story, by Jeffrey Dabner. Chapter 1. Ligna. They call her Nelly. She's an enormous ravine that spans from the top of their world through to the bottom. Nelly is covered in cliffs ranging in size from small one-meter dips to ginormous 80-meter falls that are then surrounded by vast, endless dark forests. Often, the cliffs that surround Nelly have flat tops, plateaus, which were perfect for building cities. On top of one of her flattest and tallest cliffs lie Ligna. There lived the inhabitants of apparently large trees as tall as the clouds, and abnormally small people known simply as Lignans. Lignans are no ants. No, rather, they are resourceful little people. They have doctors and policemen, marketers and clockmakers, teachers and builders. The number of professions are never-ending. The small folk of Ligna are happy little creatures that live in peace. The only time a lignan is worried is when a bear comes searching for food. Ligna is populated with honey milk bees who create large hives filled with the most nutritious liquid known to anyone. So every so often, a bear stumbles into the heart of ligna in search of its dinner. Lignans often found themselves hollowing out the trunks of their goliath trees for various purposes. So when the bear comes climbing trees to get its honey, it's actually climbing buildings. Each lignan's house averages at 12 storeys high, though the trees always grow to at least 50. Lignans never venture far from the heart of Ligna, where 90% of the population lives. And why would they? Everything a lignan needs lies within their small little borders. Within the confines of Ligna lives a loving family known by their surname, the Wickertons. The Wickertons, as their surname entails, are quite fond of creating beautiful and intricate wicker items, such as toys, hats, and baskets. Lisa Wickerton and Mark Wickerton are the heads of their family. Lisa Wickerton is a seventh generation Wickerton, and as you could imagine, is quite proud. 13 years ago, Lisa and Mark had their first child, Thomas. Thomas was a beautiful little boy that weighed in at three and a half ounces. He was born with all 10 of his teeth and the most beautiful dark green eyes. Thomas aged quite quickly, learning how to walk by six months. And by 12 months, he'd already crafted his first perfect wicker doll. At that age, he had yet to speak his first words. Lisa and Mark adopted a second child only one year later. Her name was Sarah. Sarah was a beautiful two-month-old girl with bright red hair and eyes bluer than that of their marble-blue sky. Frankly, to the Wickerton's knowledge, she was the only Lignan with blue eyes. Nonetheless, Lisa and Mark loved their children to the moon and to the stars. It was mandatory for the children of Ligna to be enrolled in one of four schools of thought, The first school of thought was that of reasoning. This school focused on articulation and public speaking as well as philosophy and complex thinking. The second of spatial visualization, where students were taught the physical arts such as painting and sculpting. The third of numericity, which focused more on mathematics, chemistry, and physics. And finally, of music, which quite obviously taught the abstract art of rhythm and sound. Thomas and Sarah like every other Wickerton before them, were enrolled in the School of Spatial Visualization. Thomas excelled in his classes and was deemed the strongest abstract thinker of his school. He was breadths ahead of the other children that shared his age. The creative eye that Thomas looked through upon this world was quite unique, and his ability to translate what he saw through his art was absolutely incredible, to say the least. Wickering was Thomas's favorite class with painting, sketching, and, surprisingly, astronomy close behind it. Sarah, on the other hand, was not as talented. Though she tried, and she did indeed pass, Sarah was no virtuoso like her brother. She often found herself sitting in the forest, staring into the beyond, staring into Nellie, daydreaming of adventures and quests. Now, you may think that Sarah is not the creative type, but she really is imaginative in her own way. School ran from early day to early afternoon, leaving the students plenty of time to be independent. Often, students spend their extra time playing games with one another and studying their preferred subjects. Sarah often created extravagant games to play with Thomas and her other friends. The Star Brothers The Star Brothers were twins and two little nightmares for almost every teacher. Thomas was mostly an individualist. He could spend hours alone painting or reading and still remain happy. However, he loved to humor Sarah. The two of them played for hours in the forest every day with a new exciting quest. Our story begins on a brisk mid-October afternoon. The entire forest of Ligna had begun its colorful transformation. Sarah and Thomas were playing in the thicket the thicket was mostly long grass, the type that goes up to your belly button, and a few scattered Goliathan trees here and there. The deeper and further from the heart they traveled through the thicket, the more abundant the trees became. As the leaves danced and sang in the wind, Sarah ran daringly through the outskirts of Ligna, where the grass was untrimmed and the trees were unhollowed. Practically nobody lived in the outskirts, except for a few eccentric old Lignans, with Thomas very close behind. Every step they took left a soft blemish upon the forest floor. Slow down, I can't run nearly as fast as you, yelled Thomas. The dragon is right behind us, Thomas. Do you want us to be turned into bird bread? Retorted Sarah, now running faster. A 12 meter long dragon dressed in pure black scales with fiery red eyes was right on their tail and furiously demolishing every tree in its path. Sarah, jumping from plane to plane, is reloading her dragon-slaying crossbow. She made this bow from scratch and cast a spell of water damage onto it. The spell would prove useful, as the dragon is none other than an exceedingly rare fireborn dragon. I just have to shoot the dragon two, maybe three more times tops before he'll be knocked out. We're doing great, Thomas! Sarah exclaimed. Oh, great, sighed Thomas. While Sarah was reloading her dragon-slaying crossbow, she became ignorant to the switching of the dragon's course. The dragon is now right in front of her. Sarah lines up the perfect shot with her bow right as the dragon lets out an enormous screech that could shatter a window. She fires the crossbow, which makes a loud clack, launching her water arrow straight through the air with direct precision, striking the dragon right in its chest. You hit him, cried Thomas, and look, he's falling to the ground. Sarah, shocked, declares, The dragon is no more, Thomas. We have vanquished him. Cool, says a tired Thomas. Can we take his fire crystal now? We can, answers Sarah. And we can give it to Shaman Magic. He will be pleased with our work. The dragon, now dead, began to disintegrate into the air, leaving behind one single item, a fire crystal. The crystal is no taller than an apple, and is as wide as your thumb. A fiery orange glow fills the inside of the crystal, though the center is completely void of color, black. This specific crystal is worth thousands, if not millions of gold flakes, and if given to the wrong person, could wreak havoc. The wielder of any fire crystal could easily destroy Ligna. Thomas and Sarah must be vigilant now. Sarah, I'm getting kind of hungry. Can we go get dinner now? Begs Thomas. Okay, my faithful second, but tomorrow we'll continue the quest, affirms Sarah, now holding the imaginary crystal in the air. Sounds good. Now let's go get some food, shouts Thomas, eager to eat. Sarah and Thomas are only just north of the heart of Ligna. Within 15 minutes, they reached the heart of Ligna. Thomas and Sarah routinely raced home once they'd entered the heart. Sarah often won. Sarah was an amazing short-distance sprinter, and Thomas was, well, not. With each step Sarah took, their home became less and less blurry. She can almost make out their purple picket fence and the vivid red circular windows. As Sarah nears her home, she notices her front door is looking quite peculiar. Suddenly, the door is no longer a door, but rather a doorway and the doorway was not empty. Lisa Wickerton was waiting for the two to return home. Sarah Wickerton, where have you been? Shouts Lisa with a tone so fearful it could scare a murder of crows. Thomas and I were just playing out in the thicket, responds Sarah so innocently. Thomas, now just reaching the front door, declares, we plead innocent. Any wrongdoings weren't done by us. Well, then why did I get a letter from your teacher today? counters Lisa. Lisa is staring in through Sarah's soul. Sarah, on the other hand, is staring straight at the soles of her shoes. Thomas, feeling out of place, slides past the two and scoots off to his room. Well, demands Lisa. Well, what? Asks Sarah. I've already told you my stupid teacher has it out for me. Mr. Mark wrote, Sarah has not handed in a single assignment this term and is rarely in class. What do you have to say for yourself? Sarah, now finding herself in a jar of pickles, is at a loss for words, but manages to murmur a single phrase. I can't believe you ratted me out. What was that? Demands Lisa. Nothing, responds Sarah. Sarah, he's your teacher. It's his job to tell me how you're doing in school. What did you expect? Shouts Lisa. Go to your room until dinner's ready and we'll speak then. Sarah marches off to her small bedroom. She sits down on her comfortable wood-shred bed and opens up her backpack. She looks at her two past-due assignments. Find and draw a beautiful ladybug. Make a mud sculpture. Ugh! Cries Sarah. Why is this school so boring? Sarah hates how mundane everyone's aspirations are. She often wonders why there are no interesting jobs she dreams of adrenaline-filled adventures and life-threatening epics. The last thing she wants to do with the rest of her life is become humdrum like the rest of the town. Why is Sarah so different? It doesn't quite matter, but what does is that she is. She was born different. She can't help it. Tired of doing what everyone expects of her, Sarah wonders how she could spend her entire life doing what she hates. Would it not drive her mad? Surely it would. Thomas, Sarah, dinner's ready, calls Linda. Thomas runs down the long and bendy staircase from his room on the seventh floor to the dining room on the first floor. Thomas can tell his father is home as his wicker briefcase and coat are in his office on the second floor. Sarah, moments later, joins the family for dinner. Oh, well, doesn't this just smell delicious, honey, exclaims Mark Wickerton. It's your favorite, winks Linda. A delicious warm bowl of sweet green pea soup with cinnamon seasoning is waiting for each member at the table. Every bowl is made out of wood, and the cutlery as well. Everyone gets a tall glass of lignans specialty drink, honey milk. Honey milk is quite nutritious. It's as thick as syrup, but not as bland as water, with each glass containing almost 80% of their entire daily recommended nutrients. The Wickertons all take their place around their circular dining room table and begin to eat. Except for Sarah. She does not have an appetite. So, Sarah, I hear we got a letter from your teacher, Mr. Mark, Mark announces. Um, yeah, I I guess so, responds Sarah. The rest of the family is still and quiet in their seats, slowly sipping away at their soup. Why did you decide to disregard your homework assignments? Questions Mark. I don't know, mumbles Sarah. What do you mean you don't know? Mark asks, puzzled. I don't know. They were just so stupid. Declares Sarah, now more assertive. It doesn't matter if you think they're stupid, Sarah, it's not your choice. You're in school and you must do what's requested of you. We expect you to abide by the laws whether you like them or not. Same goes for school. If you don't try in school, you'll fail and that will ruin your life. Sarah cuts Mark off. Yeah, well, maybe if I want to be a wickerer, but I don't. Okay, we can transfer you to another school then. Do you want to go into math? Sarah cries. I want to explore the world. We don't even know what's past Ligna. The outside world is dangerous, Sarah. Why not go into music and write songs about mystical tales? Frustrated, Sarah claims. You don't get it, Mark. Linda jumps in. Sarah, he's your father and you will call him so. Sarah ejaculates. No, he's not. He's my fake dad, and you are my fake family, and I don't want to be a Wickerton. I don't want to be a musician. I don't even want to be a Lignan. Sarah, finish your honey milk and go straight to your room to think about what you just said. That is completely unacceptable, demands Linda. So Sarah gulps down her thick glass of honey milk and runs off to her room with a tear in her eye. Sarah now has time to think. Time to devise a plan to escape this banal town. She will leave Ligna and head north she's decided to start her new life, to be a real adventurer. As the moon reaches mid evening, she starts her dreary descent down the stairs. Quieter than a snail, as not to wake Thomas nor Mark and Linda, she reaches the first floor. She packs her knapsack tight, honey milk from the cupboard to feed her appetite, her father's magical stick that produces light, some extra warm clothes for the breezy cold night. Oh, and her favorite strong stick, in case she has to fight. Now she's off. Sarah swings the back door open and, with her eyes closed, takes her first step into her new future. After a long breath of the cool, fresh evening air, she opens her eyes. Hey, Sarah, what are you doing with your backpack and fighting stick? Oh, no, thought Sarah. She did not expect, in the slightest, that he would be in the backyard.